DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Action Plumbing, Heating, and Electrical. Spring into action now. Mention this ad and receive $33 off any service. Call Action today at 801-833-3333. That's 801-833-3333. Time to welcome in Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Steve, we got a lot of smoke in the air here that tells me uh, things are still dangerous in Northern California. Is it true in Central California, too? You know, it was interesting. About two or three weeks ago, uh, for the first time, you could see the sky. It was blue, and and then all and that lasted for about three or four days. I don't know where this smoke is coming from, because the most immediate fire that was, you know, about 30 minutes from here has been pretty contained. So yeah, it's really bad, really, really bad. I mean, it's just dark and uh, not very healthy to walk around in or play golf in or do anything in. So uh, hopefully, it's going to go away soon. We need some rain, is what we need. A lot of rain. Speaking of rain, Jimmy Bucket, Jimmy Buckets, they call him. Jimmy Butler, I made the mistake. Really, it's actually accurate. He was raining down so many shots, man. I'm not sure, literally, after all the years of watching these finals, I've seen a better performance than the one Jimmy Butler had in Game 3. Yeah, he, he played with such purpose. And the fact that he, you know, he, there were no three-point baskets. I mean, that's kind of old school. <laughs> I mean, 40 points, 11 rebounds, 13. It was incredible. And just a certain toughness. And you, you, you've all heard all of the, the comments and things. But, uh, you know, a, a guy that's pretty misunderstood, it hasn't always been easy for him in this league, but he's really found a nice niche. He's in a great staff and on a team that uh, he's appreciated and his leadership. And uh, it's, it's been fun to kind of get to know a different side of him listening to his interviews or just a maturity there, even in losses that uh, I had not seen before or read about maybe more than anything. So, uh, yeah, it's been pretty special, and uh, how he got it done is pretty incredible. So Miami's uh, put themselves right back in a, in a position. I mean, it was kind of a must-win, uh, down two guys, great storyline, and uh, fun to watch. So, can he do it three more times? Or is there another way for them to win? Or this was a one-off and the Lakers are going to win four straight series, four games to one? You know, my first thought is that as good as Butler's performance was, the Lakers, you look at four of their five starters, really struggled. And I'm not sure why. Uh, And you can give credit to Miami defensively and changing defenses and doing certain things. But I think if they continue to play Dwight and AD together, they, they really make it easy for Miami because, yes, Dwight has gotten some dunks, and he's going to get four, six, eight points around the basket. But it's one guy they don't have to guard. That's one more guy that can guard AD. And AD is he gets got, stuck kind of in the no-man's land. He, he gets in that 12- to 15-foot range, which we've seen him shoot the ball, but now they're sending two people at him. And so I, a part of it, I believe, is L.A., the way they're attacking this thing. And I'm not saying Dwight Howard hasn't played well, because he has. He's done a lot of really good things. But when they're not getting stops and generating points and getting out on the fast break and doing those things, which they weren't, then they gotta, then they got to refocus on the half court. And the half court offensively, when you are playing those two bigs together, he, he, it, to me – 
to me, AD looks a little bit lost. He just he just gets in that middle area where yes, he can make shots, but he's easier to double. And and then of course Caldwell Pope and Green, uh, you know, shoot the ball really really poorly. I mean, Green's 0 for six from the um, 0 for six to the field, 0 for four from the three. Pope is one for three. So it all lends itself into it. So I believe the Lakers, in terms of their attack, they have to make some adjustments. Uh, when they're getting stops, guess what? They get on runs. And Miami came down, shot 51% from the floor. That's fewer transition opportunities. And so L.A. lives on transition baskets. They, they live on good defense and getting them easy, easy baskets. But they weren't getting those yesterday. They had to do it in the half court, and they were not very good in the half court. Part of it, I think, is with how they're running things and in and, and terms of trying to play two bigs at once. Just, I mean, and I know, I know that uh, the big fellow only played 15 minutes. Okay? I mean, I, I understand that. But still, when he's on the floor and they're not getting transition baskets, it's hard for L.A. to score. So I always loved gamers. Guys like you coached one in Travis Hansen, no question. I mean, this guy, no matter what the circumstance, he had no fear. He had the ultimate confidence, and he was going to compete to the highest level, win or lose, good game, bad game. You knew as far as the competitive spirit that you're always going to get from Travis. I'm seeing that from a 20-year-old Tyler Hero. I'm ready at 20 years old to call this kid a gamer. Agree or disagree? Oh, no, I agree. I mean, he is, uh, <clears throat> number one, uh, he's young and he looks really young, uh, but he's so experienced and he's got a great relationship. I know he spent the summer with Butler. He's he's just got, he, he gets it. I mean, he has such great skills and such a great feel for the game. He never seems in a hurry. That's very uncommon for young players. And he's not afraid of any moment, I'm telling you. I mean, He's going to miss shots and things are going to happen. But again, he's got 17 and three and two last night and hits a couple of threes. And what happens is that when he and Robinson are knocking shots down, that floor gets big and it gives Jimmy Butler an opportunity to roam and, you know, and take, take the basket, take the ball to the basket, get into that mid range area, which he likes uh, when things get spread out with those two guys. But hero is a guy that's going to be, you know, if he stays healthy, he's going to have a great career. So most, you know, most people, they had no idea who he was. And a uh, very, very, very special player. I completely agree. He's never in a hurry. Great skill set. Not afraid to compete. Uh, and, you know, not as over-emotional. Over I mean, he just plays the game at a real even keel. And uh, impressive. Very, very impressive. And you can see. I mean, you get the other two guys back, Rogers and, and Adebayo. I mean, they're, they're going to come back probably at some point. I, I think Bam's definitely going to come back, probably come back the next game. Uh, these guys have gotten a little bit better while they're gone. It's going to be even that so much more difficult. So I'm curious what some organizations or GMs or coaches see in players and what others do. And I get that these guys are young and developing, so they get overlooked in the draft. It's hard to know. But how does Jimmy Butler play for four teams in four years, and every one of those four teams either matches or exceeds their best performance pretty much in 20 years? 
I mean, his last year in Chicago is the only playoff team they've had in five years. They move him to Minnesota, and they win the only playoff series they've, or they go to the playoffs for the only time since 2004. They've been in the lottery every other year. They move him to Philadelphia, and Philly's in Game 7 in the second round. And the last time they made a conference final was in 2001 when the NBA Finals with Iverson. And they go to Miami, and now Miami's back in the NBA Finals. Why are people giving up on Butler? I get why you overlook a 20-year-old, but when you're 28, 29, 30, 31, how do you play for four teams in four years, they have their best year, and you keep moving? You know, I, I don't have an answer to that question because I don't have any real inside information on him, but just looking at experiences I've had, um, some guys are hard to coach, and when, especially in, you know, except Philadelphia, who had significant talent, um, by, by the way, I mean, the, the, the world could be completely different uh, if that, you know, shot's not made at the buzzer and Toronto beats them at the end and, you know, all of a sudden it's the 76ers who go to the playoffs and who knows if Jimmy Butler doesn't win an NBA championship with the 76ers. But th- that didn't happen. But the, the only thing I can think of is that there were either chemistry issues perceived real, I don't know where they were, a guy that's very difficult, maybe with coaches, uh, and, and speaks his mind. Not not that he's being belligerent or uh, unfair, but he, you know he speaks his mind, and a lot of people don't speak their minds. And, and he says what he feels, and that could be offensive, uh, that could be uncomfortable for a coach, for a GM, for players. And and you're right, in all of those situations, he got those programs to places where they wanted to be. My only guess is. We don't want to pay that cost and deal with that. And, and I have nothing to support that. But all I can think of is that he, he was a difficult guy to be around because he probably made people really accountable, coaches, GMs, and players, and spoke his mind. And a lot of times people just don't want to hear that. Whether that's what it was or not, I don't know. But it would seem to me that just looking at the big picture – that seems to probably be what it was because he kind of got a bad rap everywhere he was, but maybe it wasn't nearly about as much about Jimmy as it was coaches, players, and everyone around him who, you know, were buying into what he was saying when they should have been listening. And so we'll never know, uh, but he has. One thing he's mentioned, he's had an impact everywhere he's gone. He's made teams better by being there, and I think he loves the work ethic in Miami and the culture there and where people are very, very accountable. And starting up with the president down to, to, to the trainers, uh, everybody is accountable in that organization. It's hard to do that sometimes in the NBA, where everybody's held accountable. You see that in college, you see it in high school, but at the next level, it's hard to do that to superstars. Jimmy Butler, he knows he's a great player, but he, you know, I don't think he looks at himself and says, hey, I'm a superstar. You know, that, that's not who he is, man. He just gets down and gets it done, and he does it daily. And so those are the things that I would think that uh, have made people – he's made people uncomfortable because of the accountability piece. People don't like that. You know, people don't like to hear what they don't want to hear. Uh, possibly if he did it in a more a different way, and, you know, maybe everything would have been fine, but he was pretty outspoken. Good for him. He found an organization that has the same kind of core values that he has. Off the topic a little bit, but how much do you think the success and publicity and exposure BYU football is currently receiving can help its basketball program? I think it's all good. 
I think that basketball program right now has had a lot of really positive publicity the last year and uh, the what they've done and, and how not just how the school is marketed, but what Mark Pope has done and the players and how they played and just uh, where the program, how they finish. But I think any time you get that kind of exposure from the football program in the fall, it, it just it, it brings a light on all the sports. You know, and when we know, you, you all know better than anybody, you start looking at the volleyball programs, you know, you start looking at the cross country. There, there's nationally, you know, prominent programs in that, in that school. And, and certainly football is one that gets most of the attention. You know, obviously basketball gets a lot of attention, but football is kind of king. And so when they're being successful and they're being looked at, you know what happens, too, is they start looking at things on campus. And the next thing you know, they're looking at that amazing practice facilities the basketball team has to play on or they're looking at uh you know world-class runners or they're they're you know they're looking at different things about the institution and all of a sudden there's a really really positive light on the school because of the success they found we'll we'll see you know we'll see what happens they i mean when i've watched them play i mean everything's in sync and until it's going to be hard really to tell i mean you can tell they're organized the culture's great that they're playing well I mean, there, there's great chemistry there. There's a lot of confidence, and uh, they're throwing the football, which everybody wants to see, and, and they're doing it at a really, really good rate. Uh, I, I, they're going to get a chance to play Boise. I have no idea how they are. I don't, I don't know if Houston's any good. But at the end of the day, they're doing everything that's expected of them. Uh, they have no control over that schedule. I think the fans are enjoying it. I think the more you win, the more confident you get in everything that happens. So there's nothing but win-win there. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure that Coach Sataki and all, all of the coaching staff, what a great opportunity to, uh, to really, really make a, um, a statement here, uh, regardless of the schedule. They had no control over that. Everybody they played, and they put up such amazing numbers. I think it has a good impact on the entire university, but I think it really solidifies this program as one that, for the future, is going to be really, really good. I think every, everybody, everything seems to be in place, and, and they're playing like the fan base loves them to play with they're throwing the football. So fun to watch. Uh, I think, obviously, at some point in time, whether it's this year or next year, you know, who knows? They may get into a bowl game this year they never could have gotten into uh, because of the schedule and, and have an opportunity to play somewhere that they may not have got an opportunity to play had they had a different schedule. So doors are opening. Uh, they're playing well. Coaching staff's doing an awesome job, and, and everybody seems to be together. So uh, I don't think we're going to see schedules like this year in and year out. Coach Palomo has, has really put together challenging schedules and playing big-time opponents. But uh, I think if you're a BYU fan, uh, you're, you're loving the success. But more than that, you're loving how watching them, just watching them play with great chemistry and great energy and great confidence. Okay, Steve, last thing before we let you go. Uh, football coaches are the most paranoid. I think a lot of people were. But football coaches would use those big laminated play sheets to cover their mouths when they called signals. Because they're all feel, they all figure, and honestly, you know, the Bill Belichicks of the world are trying to shoot their lips and then match it up to the play and steal, right? So that now there's no fans at games. It's so quiet. We're hearing all kinds of stuff from players and coaches. It's outstanding. It's very entertaining. Are, do you think coaches are so paranoid that they've modified what they're saying, or does this kind of show that all along it wasn't that big a deal? 
Um, do they have to clean it up? Would they be swearing even more? PK's theory on little league coaches when they're mic'd up, they behave much better. <laughs> what what is the truth? What did it sound like before versus what we're hearing now? Oh well, I, I'm telling you that uh, it's a little different. <laughs> I mean, I've been in, and I'm not talking about BYU. I'm just talking my experience as a coach and my experience of being and going different places. Uh, it, it certainly is a, is a little bit different in terms of uh, vocabulary and intensity. That uh, uh, the paranoia that comes from uh, all coaches, uh, I'm, I'm guilty of that. I mean, we all have different things in our lives that uh, seem to unravel us. But uh, no, it's, it's so different now. And, and I'll be honest with you, it takes. I mean, I'm just watching this NBA, and you've been watching this to have no fans to get into that moment where there isn't a great deal of energy. I know they put people's faces and they have some canned noise, uh, but you know what? That, that's not easy, and especially when you're not playing well and you're looking for a crowd. You know, you know how it is. You can turn the series around. You go 0-2 on the road and you come back home and you don't have any confidence and you've got 20,000 fans and you've got so much energy and – Everybody gets to kind of share how they feel on the floor and off the floor, and boom, before you know it, you got that confidence back. You got that mojo back, and they don't have that. When when you get down, it's hard to get back up, and it it just it's the twenty guys in that in that locker room that have to really really come together. That's why, to me, I mean, I believe the Lakers win this series as we talked about before in five or six. But if there was any team that could ever do it right now, uh, it, it would be Miami. They, they just seem to have that sense that uh, they're just so self-motivated and so together that if any team were going to be able to do it, they could. I still don't think that it's probably going to happen, but it, is not, it cannot be easy not playing in front of fans. And, uh, but I'll tell you the other thing, the last thing is the one thing about it, I just, as I've watched games and teams, I've never seen teams so close and so pulling for each other. I mean, you've got cheerleaders on the on the bench and football. and I mean, everybody is engaged and involved, which does nothing but bring teams closer together, kind of an us-against-the-world type situation. So that has been a positive, but the paranoia never leaves. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve, thanks for joining us for a few minutes. We appreciate it. Hope you get the rain you want. Thanks, brother. See you guys. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, joining us. Coming up next, we get you up to speed. Everything we talked about in this show, and one thing we haven't, you fantasy football players, you might have to adjust a lineup tonight because the star player is out, injured. We'll tell you about it next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. How good is BYU? From what we've seen through three games, tremendous. You know, this is college football, so the aim played nobody question is always out there. They manhandled everybody, basically. And, and if you use something like my rankings or the spread as a bar, usually teams that exceed, that overachieve against that bar this dramatically through three games usually keep it up. 
That's Bill Conley, National College Football Writer for ESPN, joined us earlier in the show. Used the word tremendous right out of the gate when talking about BYU. Acknowledged the weakness of the schedule. He left the door open for BYU qualifying for the playoff if everything broke right. Pete Thamel, National College Football Writer for Yahoo Sports, addressing the same topic. Slammed the door. No how, no way. Not happening. But did acknowledge there, at least in the discussion for the New Year's Six, I think he's a little skeptical about it actually happening, but hey, they're at least in the discussion. Business rules today, PK, and to get into a playoff for New Year's Six, you got to take a berth away from somebody else. I think that's going to be a hard thing to do. Well, nothing against Mike Conley, but I don't need him leaving the door open. BYU is going to fling that door wide the freak open and go storming through that door on its way to Pasadena. To be clear, Mike Conley didn't have anything to do with it. It was Bill Conley. But Okay, his famous, brother Bill. Famous Conleys. <laughs> That's Connolly and Conley, so we got two different spellings, too. Irregardless, it's all pronounced the same. <laughs> okay. The Cougars crushing people. It's been a big topic on the show this morning. The numbers are, what are they, PK? Astounding. Yes. I don't know. On a part-time <laughs> basis because he's not even playing the fourth quarter. Where are you, BYU? How are you hanging on? <laughs> I'm in, uh, we're in uh, Pasadena. Yeah. <laughs> That's a step up from San Bernardino. <laughs> hey, this is a wacky year. Why not BYU to Pasadena in a year in which the Padres and Dodgers are playing each other in the playoffs in Texas? Perfect. Makes sense to me. <laughs> Sign it up. Think about that. <laughs> Why aren't the Padres and Dodgers playing in L.A. and San Diego? Because obviously the American League playoffs are in Dodger Stadium and in Petco. That makes perfect sense. At least meet in Anaheim. <laughs> yes, halfway. We'll see you in Anaheim. No, San Diego team's only playing Carson. They're going to have a short porch. Oh, there you go. brother. It's crazy. I think the momentum for BYU is going to just continue to grow and grow, especially when they win 52-6 to this week. Texas-San Antonio coming in at 3-1. and one. A suspect 3-1. and one. But 3-1 and one nonetheless. Uh, we, uh, as long as you're talking baseball playoffs, we did talk earlier today. The AL playoffs start today. It's the Houston Astros and the Oakland Athletics. They're the ones playing at Dodger Stadium, 2 o'clock on TBS. Then the Rays and the Yankees at Petco Park, 6 o'clock. TBS has both those series today. So they got a baseball doubleheader if you want to uh, hey, if you want to check that out. If I'm A's fans, I'm really nervous about my team playing in Los Angeles as the home team. Oh, going back to 88, huh? <laughs> I see what you did there. So you got the Rays, 28th in payroll. And the Yankees first in payroll. And who are you picking, PK? I'm going with the better pitching staff, and that's uh, Tampa Bay. I picked them to be in the World Series at the start of the postseason. I hope you're right. I love to root for the little guy. All the teams I grew up with were always underdog little guy. Except you they've can't been root winning for the now for a number of years. Yeah, this but they're really still no doing surprise. No, that that part is true. My uh, Tampa Bay has had multiple teams that were good, multiple teams into the postseason. It's not a surprise, but they're still doing it by spending a fraction of the money. I think they got basically their payrolls like a third of what the Yankees have. It's and, more important to spend wisely yes. than it is to spend. Yep. Yep. 
And the Yankees hit a lot of home runs, and they might be able to mash their way to victory. Sure. But pitching yeah. and defense usually, well, not always, but usually wins out, and the Rays have it. Although I don't know that they've got it tonight. I mean, they've got it, but it's do they three, have an advantage? It's three out of five. You don't have to have it tonight. Although you'd rather not fall behind because there really right. isn't that much error to work with. The margin no, for error. No, there's not. No, and each game is just massive, and, and Cole is at least on par with Snell, if not better. But overall, I give the advantage to the Rays. Uh, and then Oakland and Houston, I'm going to go with Oakland. I mean, putting the Oakland and playing in a home game in Dodger Stadium, I don't know you can have any fans there. Of course, they're not going to have any fans there, but I see what you're doing. National League starts tomorrow, so we got a, we got a day to uh, get to that. Uh, we talked a little NFL this morning. The teams that you thought might get to 4-0 largely got to 4-0 if they were indeed playing. The Bears, who are the most I, – I, I think if you rank all the undefeated teams that had gotten to 3-0, they were the most suspect, and they got beat. So they're 3-1. and uh, The Chiefs are trying to get to 4-0 tonight against the Patriots. Sony Michel, the uh, leading rusher – well, he and Cam Newton are the two leading rushers, and now they're both out. So you would think – missing a quarterback and a running back, that the Patriots on the road at Kansas City are going to get beat. Well, it's the quarterback. The running back, they're all interchangeable. Takes the luster off that one. Well, Cam Newton not being there. Yeah. But what's the kid's name? Stidman, Stidham, who, uh, what's he, where did he go to Purdue? Is that where he went? Jared Stidham went to Baylor. Where did I come up with Purdue? Georgia. Purdue? Where the crap did I come up with Purdue? Jared Stidham. (laughs) Uh, well, you say Purdue, all I got, I got uh, Drew Brees and uh, Bob Greasy. That's about oh, Mark it. Herman. Yeah. How, how could Mark you Herman. Mark Herman. All right, third. Anyway. Joe Tiller. <laughs> I have okay, no we're done idea. With, we're done with Boilermaker close. football. We're done with Boilermaker Purdue, that made no sense. That right there in almost 19 years is, and I've got a lot of competition, but that is the stupidest thing I've ever said. <laughs> Purdue. It's not like I was. Sometimes you know you're looking at something, and uh, the guy that got Jake Scott in trouble. He was looking at something, and, and he pronounced his name something else that we can't air. Hey, oh, and, and nothing in my on my desk here or on my computer, nothing on the television uh, indicated Purdue, but yet I, I assigned. Big Ten Purdue for old Jared. Be interesting to see how he was, how he can do. Because is this another Belichick pull something out of my, you know what? Because he's had uh, uh, who was the other Jacoby dude? He's had guys that Jacoby he gets Brissette. out there, and you don't expect anything, and they turn out to be halfway decent. Jimmy G and uh, who's the other guy? Castle. I mean, those are three guys off the top of my head. Yes, Castle led him to 11-5 and five when Brady got hurt in the first quarter of Game 1 in, I don't know, 2007 or somewhere in there. Uh, they missed the playoffs, but they were 11-5. and five. They just lost tiebreakers, and it was a crazy year. However, for all the Stidham-Purdue stuff, I thought it was going to be Hoyer tonight. That was what I read online. Oh, is it? Am I wrong? I think it's going to be Brian Hoyer. Really? They're going to go over Stidham? They're going to go with Oh, well, then at least I'm in the same conference because he went to Michigan State. He went to Michigan That's State. That's the connection. There you go. It is a, He's a Spartan. Subliminally, uh, I just I must have read that somewhere. Okay, well, I retract that. It's not the stupidest thing that I said. 
uh, I'm reading a USA Today story right here with Brian Hoyer likely to get the start. So even they are, it, it could be Stidham. I don't. That's where I saw that. You're right. Yeah. So it and, could be either guy, but they're saying Hoyer's likely. Okay. So. I feel better about myself this morning now. <laughs> okay. All right. At least I got the same conference. Packers are three and zero going for four and zero tonight. That's the that's the traditional Monday night football game on ESPN. It's going to kick at six fifty. I think they moved it back thirty minutes, so there'd be a little less overlap. It's three and zero Green Bay and the zero and three Atlanta Falcons. The Chiefs game with the Patriots is on CBS at five o'clock, so there'll be about an hour of overlap. Maybe that'll matter. Maybe it won't. But you can watch football all night, and you got baseball at. Two and six o'clock. Playoff baseball. Yes. Yeah, baseball doubleheader. You got a football doubleheader. And I think the ratings are going to be down because you're going to have three of these games going head to head and the other one in the I middle of the workday. Give a rat's you know what about the stupid ratings. People, sports has alienated every. <laughs> or there's just too many games all at once. You can't watch them all. I want as many. I want what I want. If you don't want it, I don't care. I don't care if the NBA ratings are down 120%. It makes no difference to me. I did not. I got to say, on Friday night, yeah, I barely watched, and I was expecting the same last night. I thought I'd be hunkered down on Philly and the Forty Niners. Uh-huh. Saw that, and I did flip back and forth. But in the fourth quarter, you got I was sucked all into the NBA. Over, yes, yeah. because watching Jimmy Butler, I would have been. I would have felt disappointed in myself that I didn't get a chance to watch that game because that Jimmy Butler performance was one of the best that I've ever seen, and I don't care what they're doing. I'm a sports fan. I'm not a politics fan. I watched that, and I enjoyed it. I flipped it over, watched Brandon Ayuk freaking do a 10-yard hurdle. I mean, come on. What a phenomenal athletic move that was, right? I mean, that, that, was, that was a highlight right there. So I had a much enjoyable night of sports viewing, and I don't care what the ratings say. I do not want to irritate the Bills Mafia, so I am going to mention along the list of undefeated 4-0 teams, they went and beat the Raiders, who were 2-1, now 2-2. Two two. Uh, they beat them in Las Vegas. Yes, the stadium's completely empty, so I don't know what the home field road thing is worth and all that. But the Bills, 4-0, they keep grinding it out, and... I don't, I don't want to say it was an easy win, but it was it was pretty comfortable. Yeah, by two scores, the Raiders got a late one and then didn't get then didn't get the ball back. And there you go. I think of all the teams not being able to have fans hurting the most, I think it is the Raiders because obviously it's in their first year. And when we see new stadiums, attendance usually spikes. Uh, even if a team has been there for many many years, they get a new stadium, attendance spikes. We saw it with the Cardinals when they sucked, they moved into their across town. And uh, we've seen it with a number of baseball teams. Can you imagine new stadium and new team? That place would have been delirious. And I don't think that it's uh, it's, it's it's hurting the the uh, the Raiders that they can't draw upon that. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. They're going to have uh, it will be a crazy environment. But I think it's also clear that there are going to be a lot of visiting fans at those games. Uh, the Bills would have had, even though it's a long way away, the Bills would have had a lot of fans. At those games, I got a friend who lives here in Utah, and I'm not sure why, but he's a Bills fan. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. He's lived in Utah his whole life, but he was planning on going to the game, you know. So, it, I think every team that goes into Vegas will have 
I'll have a good chunk of fans. And you know, I've been to games uh, in San Diego. You've been in They'll in still LA. be in the great minority. They will be. And Raider fans will come in from all over the place. Raider fans will be coming in from L.A. and from Oakland and... Nova Scotia. Probably. Yeah. Nova Scotia. That was right. random. All right. Anything else you want to talk about? No, nothing. That's it. Covered it all. Your feedback. Okay, I got, I got something else. And that is? This was announced, the crossover games. Uh-huh. And maybe maybe we should hit this uh, for another time uh, because it's a deep topic with a lot of interesting turns. But what do you think of the Pac-12 going with 9 a.m. games? I don't like it. I get why they did it. If you're going to do it, do it in a year without fans because the fans aren't going to be complaining now about it's inconvenient because they aren't going to be at the games anyway. It's still, you're asking players to wake up. Coaches could tell us whatever the routine is. I don't know, 4.35 in the morning or something. It's, it's a weird deal. And I get that you need, it, it goes back to everything we were talking about earlier with, um, I think it was Pete Thamel who brought it up with the National College Football Writer for Yahoo Sports. The Pac-12 brand has already been damaged the last few years. Now you're giving all these other leagues a chance to get started first, get storylines building, and you're coming out, hey, look at us, hey. So you got to do something different. And so they're doing something different. And USC is going to have a uh, – USC-ASU is going to have a 9 a.m. kickoff, which just, you know, it seems weird. Now the Utes have done 11 a.m. kickoffs. So in the mountain time zone, you just move it one hour to a 10 a.m. kickoff. But when you're in the Pacific, you got to kick at 9 that seems yeah, way early in the morning. As a kid, getting up and watching those games, I thought, this is way early in the morning. But I watched them. You realize the Sun Devils are at the practice facility every morning at 6 a.m. So advantage ASU. Well, I don't know what SC's doing, but right. a lot of teams have moved practice to the morning. It, that is a true. That's, that's been happening over 15 years. Uh, With the online advent of online classes. Mm-hmm. They do it first thing. They're on the practice field 7, 7.30. And it keeps the players out of trouble the night before. Urban Meyer started doing that when he was coaching at Utah. That tells you how long ago it was. It's kind of like, well, you can do whatever you want, but uh, the music's going to be real loud in the weight room at 6 a.m., and everybody else is going to be loud, and you better not be hungover. Because <laughs> your brain is going to hurt. And you're Utes, so, I mean, come on. <laughs> And trying to book uh, players for talking sports back in the day. And Liz Abel, who did sports information for a long time, said, David, ever since they put them on this morning schedule, when I ask guys, nobody wants to do the show anymore. Maybe the local guys. But most of them, they got to be asleep because they know they got to be up and they know the coaches are going to be on them. Yep. All right, DJ and PK, when we come back, your feedback, everything you think about today's show coming up next. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Let's go. The Big Show. It's a big deal. With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. What is Ash Wednesday? You're supposed to give up something as a sign of penitence for the next six weeks. If you were to give something up, what would you be willing to give up? Would you park where you're supposed to? Take up one stall only. You know, I didn't do a very good job of parking, I will say that. Did you cross four stalls again? No, but I was on the line. So you're taking up two instead of four, but you still... No, no, I was taking up one, but I was in a hurry. You did that on purpose. You're taking up two spots. No, no, I wasn't. It's not like the lines are bright yellow. They're hard to see. See, Jake. <laughs> Parking stall lines are merely suggestions. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning. It's time for my way too early open mic take. PK, 
Why do writers, including you, always mention McMahon, Young, and Bosco, but never Taysom, Max Hall, John Beck, Sarkeesian? Time for your feedback. Yeah, PK, writers like you, ignoring the 19 years of radio, but whatever. Writers like you. I did mention Hall and Beck more recently. Ha! If you go back and listen to when I brought up the prior, uh, that was compared to Detmer. Now I'm comparing Wilson to Hall and Beck, who, although neither had a long or illustrious career in the NFL, did get to the NFL. Those are facts. They did play NFL games. The point being that uh, one quarterback stands on the shoulders of the quarterbacks who came before them. In terms of publicity, yes. Yes. And I think I really believe that Detmer, those guys who went before him, helped him win the Heisman. Lavelle has said as much. Well, oh, okay. He yeah. Did. It, ma- it makes sense. That, that takes nothing away from Ty. He was absolutely brilliant. But I think that it wasn't a one off, it was a, uh, an accumulation of great quarterback play. The storyline had been out there. And I think that with Wilson, Wilson, I see no reason why Wilson just does not go out and do what he's done the rest of the season really i mean maybe not to this level against boise san Diego state we'll see about houston uh but the other teams i expect him to do it uh, expect him to do it this week against utsa i do and uh, texas state and western kentucky and north alabama the opening Why line not? this week's game 33 points if if i'm at uh, if i'm wilson let's see it starts at 130 uh i have uh, four o'clock reservations at the brick oven because I don't think he'll be playing at that point. <laughs> take your sweetie, take your gambling buddies, take Lisa, and 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 go down there. I don't know uh, his father's name, so I can't help you there. Big Mike. Okay, take Mike. I do know Mike as a Little League coach, won numerous state ships. That I do know. It says it in the Corner Canyon. call state ships? It, co- it says it in the Corner Canyon program. Oh, okay. I've read it. I've seen it with my own eyes. Question of the morning. What has the BYU football team proven so far? Michael says that when you live right on and off the field, well, you know the rest. Uh, Rod says they are currently the best team in the West. And Dave says they're not drinking the poison. Isn't that rat poison, Dave? We're going to quote Nick Saban. Rat poison. Oh, and then there's some good ones here, PK. Uh, (laughs) Eric. It proves, or Brennan says they can beat up on bad teams. Eric says they can beat up on high school teams. Mike says they can beat crappy teams. And Todd says they're better than every high school in the country. Tony reads all of those and says it proves that they can get under the Ute fan's skin. Magic uh, happens. (laughs) (laughs) I like the little... uh... Magic. Uh, I wish I'd. I wish I'd been there for that in person to see if he like couldn't remember and was reaching for it, or if I don't he was just it at all. just going for sarcasm. I looked up when it was put in the system. It was from 2014. Mm. So seems about know. right. Yeah. I like it. I Magic like the. Little, uh, it's like uh, I'm in uh, San Bernardino. It somehow I'm in uh, San Bernardino. Just adds to it if he just said I'm in San Bernardino. It wouldn't have been nearly as funny. Uh, happens. How are you hanging on? Where are you? Still uh, the ultimate legend. <laughs> Magic uh, happens. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on that note, we'll make way for Scotty and Hands. They're coming up next. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.